This is Visionary, a show exploring how nuclear powers your world. I'm Mary Carpenter. And I'm Jordan Houghton. Let's jump in. Hi, Mary. How's it going? Hey, good. How are you? I'm doing well. I am very interested to speak with our guest today. He is Jesus Nunez, the CEO of the Nuclear Alternative Project, and he grew up in Puerto Rico. And his goal is to bring nuclear to Puerto Rico to help stabilize their electrical grid, which is oftentimes and has been, you've all seen it in the news, intermittent because of the impacts of hurricanes around the island. Puerto Rico's faced a lot of challenges in recent years because of these um, horrible weather events. I know part of the reason that Jesus started the nuclear alternative project was because of Hurricane Irma in 2017. And then um, they were quickly struck again a couple weeks later by Hurricane Maria. And that caused absolute devastation on the island. And, you know, the cell sites were down, their water waste treatment plants weren't operable, their landslides, their roads were impassable. Most of the island lacked clean drinking water. And on top of this, 100% of their electricity grid was down. So he, you know, growing up there, thought that this was a critical opportunity for him to do something to step in and find a way to make their grid more stable as they continue to face these disasters. And he thought nuclear would be the, the best solution to do that. I think that it's a really important conversation to have right now because extreme weather events are impacting people all over the globe. We're sitting here now recording this conversation during an extreme heat wave that is threatening energy security, not only in the United States, but across the globe. Places that don't usually face extreme heat are dealing with it right now. And I just think it's a really important to consider how nuclear has the ability to be a strong backbone to the grid when there are extreme weather events. Yeah, I mean, we're recording this episode during hurricane season, you know, as we're tracking hurricanes that are currently forming right now. So, you know, living in D.C., we're not usually hit by hurricanes. You know, we've had some some weather events. We had a derecho probably like five or 10 years ago now. And I remember the wind just knocked power out for the whole city. And this was in the middle of the summer and it was so hot, but I was fortunate that I had power. So I had people sleeping all over my condo because they didn't have air conditioning for several days. But, you know, most of the time we just go by with our regular days, you know, our cell phones are charged, we can watch TV, our air conditioning's on, and you don't think about it until a disaster happens that, you know, you really do need this reliability in the grid to make it through regular days as well as disasters. Yeah, I grew up in the Midwest and I dealt with power outages all the time. In the winter, there were blizzards that would knock out power. In the summer, we would have severe storms, sometimes tornadoes that would knock out power and I would lose power for I don't know, two to three days. Sometimes it was only half a day and I thought I was going to lose it. It's it's horrible no matter what the season is because you're freezing in the winter and it's too hot in the summer. 
And I, I remember this one blizzard that hit when I was in high school and we lost power for four or five days. And that was the longest that I had ever been without power. And it felt, of course, I was like a high school girl. So I was very concerned about how I was going to wash my hair. Mm, of course, tragedy. Very, that, yes, tragedy. And I realized like what a first world problem I was experiencing. But my husband is from Miami and actually was there during Hurricane Andrew Oof. and didn't have power for three months. Oh my God, in Miami? Yes, in the middle of the summer. Oh. And- so it made, it made me think about how my two-day power outages were really nothing compared to that. Yeah. And then that's like, even compared to three months, like that was nothing compared to what Puerto Rico had. So Exactly. He told me that they used to run around that the block in the house to get really hot and sweaty before they'd go take a shower because they only had cold water for the showers. So they they tried to get themselves like sweltering hot so that the cold water didn't feel as cold. Which honestly probably wasn't hard to do in Miami in the middle of summer. <laughs> Correct. But I, I, I think a lot of us, we have the benefit of when we turn on the light switch, the power comes on. And if we do lose power here, it's usually a minor inconvenience. But it seems like more and more we're seeing more hurricanes that are knocking out power for months and months upon end in places like Puerto Rico, or there was the the issue with the Texas grid during winter mm-hmm. a couple of years ago where they were without power in frigid temperatures. It's like we can, nobody can ignore this anymore. Yeah. And I mean, we continue to message how nuclear is critical for climate change. So, you know, Nuclear really comes into play addressing the underlying issue of these severe storms that we're getting and we're continuing to see get worse. And it also addresses, you know, how nuclear can power through storms and be there to power recovery. And that's actually something interesting that maybe listeners don't know, but with advanced nuclear, we have small reactors, we have micro reactors and the microreactors especially are going to be very easy to transport. So you put them on ships, you can put them on trucks, and you can take it to places like Puerto Rico where the power is out for an extended period of time. And, you know, while you're working to reset up the grid, you can have these microreactors power communities on their own. So there's a lot of different ways that nuclear plays into this conversation. That's a great point about smaller and microreactors, because not only does that help in a place like Puerto Rico where they need power because of an outage, but that's critical for powering rural areas as well. I think that's another thing that is taken for granted. People who live in large cities or around metropolitan areas have reliable access to power, but there are still a lot of rural areas in this country and around the world where they don't. And bringing micro reactors to those communities can literally change their lives. That's so true. And uh, we're excited to get those online and uh, start powering those communities. Let's jump in with our guest today, Jesus. We are thrilled to welcome Jesus Nunez to the podcast today. He is the CEO of the Nuclear Alternative Project and a senior structural engineer at Bechtel. Jesus, thank you so much for joining us. And I'm hoping to kick things off. You can give us a little bit of your background and how you got here. 
So a little bit of my background. I grew up in Puerto Rico. I was born there. I studied in the University of Puerto Rico in Mayaguez. Uh, did my bachelor degree there and my master's degree. And when I was doing my master's degree, I got the opportunity to to work with Bechtel in, in the nuclear industry. I mean, it has been 15 years uh, since that happened. But also during that, after five or six years uh, in Bechtel, I had the opportunity to to be part of this uh, nonprofit organization, the Nuclear Alternative Project. And, and currently I'm, I'm, I'm the chief executive officer. I'm running the, the, the nonprofit. Jesus, that's great. Um, I want to back up just a little bit. Growing up on an island, what was the power situation like? Were most people connected to the grid? So when I was growing up, like, or everyone that I knew uh, was connected to the grid. Maybe you have some minor houses that are very remote in the island that didn't have the the capability to connect to the grid. But I think almost everyone uh, was connected to the grid. I mean, during my first years growing up, I think the grid was not as bad as, as it is now. It was was better. But certain situations between the governance of the system and maintenance issues, and they didn't update a lot of, of, of the generation assets, it started to deteriorate to a point that where we are now, right? That people are having more blackouts and, and it's affecting the economy and, and every person living in the island. So when you were growing up, just a normal day, did you have those power outages or when did those start? We probably had some some outages of one or two hours, three hours max between weeks. But it was not as constant as it is now, right? I know you were there for Hurricane George, and I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about what that experience was like. So Hurricane George, it was kind of interesting because I my my mom house is in a town, a small town in the rural area, a mountainous area called Sidra. The hurricane eye passed through our home. Uh, so when when the hurricane eye was on top of our home, we, we went outside and then we looked outside and everything was calmed down and everything. Obviously, there was a lot of damage. Also, the wind affected a lot the distribution system of, of the grid. I was in high school at that time and and we were without electricity one or two months. The, the thing is, in Puerto Rico, when there is no electricity, uh, because you have a lot of difference in elevations, uh, some of the places don't get uh, water because the water needs electricity to, they need to pump it up. I believe it was something like 96% of the island was without power at some point or another during that hurricane. And yeah, it affected the lives of people. Uh, you know, school, we, we were going to school and we were getting out instead of three o'clock, we were getting out at lunchtime because we didn't have uh, water services. So, so yeah, it did affect the daily life of everyone. We talk a lot in this industry about how people take power for granted. When you live in a place where the lights always turn on when you flip the switch, it's it's almost hard to imagine not having power for that long, but that is reality for a lot of people, even not in natural disasters in rural areas, etc. Yeah, it's, it, it is a reality in Puerto Rico. Right now, I was listening at the news and 
this past week and this week there is a heat wave in Puerto Rico and a lot of the transmission lines are bearing uh, overstress uh, because of the heat. A lot of the generation assets, the big ones that we have, they were scheduled to do maintenance. I just read and news that the coal plant that, that is there, that is planned to shut down in the next two years, two or three years. They asked the plant manager not to not to do the maintenance, uh, routine maintenance, because they were they are running very low on on the reserve margin. I heard yesterday it was less than a hundred uh, megawatt at the reserve margin. They are having a lot of issues, not only in the transmission and distribution uh, portion of it, but also the generation. They're having a low margin in the electricity market and, and, and that's affecting every, everyone's lives. This experience you had, you know, going to school without power, did that play into kind of where you are today in the field that you're in? Since the beginning of when I was growing up, I, I always told my mom I was going to be an engineer. When I was in, in my master's degree, I did never expect to get out of Puerto Rico to, to work. And this opportunity happened with Bechtel and, and I just continued to follow it. When the opportunity became to, to make the Nuclear Alternative Project, non-profit organization, I saw it as an opportunity to kind of give back something that I was learning here in the, in the mainland and give it back to people in Puerto Rico since I know that the industry was not really open in Puerto Rico. Okay, so I want to learn more about the Nuclear Alternative Project. So I know in 2015, you were contacted by some college friends about the idea of starting the project. I love that your friend asked you, how is it that no one is talking about advanced reactors to help solve Puerto Rico's energy problems? From an engineering standpoint, these reactors make so much sense. They are smaller and with all the safety enhancements from previous generation designs. So after your friend contacted you, what happened next? How did this project start? It was, it was actually Eddie Guerra. Uh, he's a friend of mine now. He, he contacted me. I was driving from back from work from Virginia and um, he contacted me and I was, we were discussing this and, and he just said, Hey, do, would you like to be part of this, uh, of this organization? And obviously I talked with my wife about it and, uh, and, and I said, yes, started very small. We started trying to make our bylaws and, and all the things that we, we needed to do our mission, our, our logo and all those things. And then, you know, the process started to getting bigger, especially when, uh, when Puerto Rico got uh, hit by a hurricane that we saw it as a uh, hurricane Maria, that we saw it as a probably point of where we started doing more work and educating more people about it and, and studying the, the nuclear energy for Puerto Rico. You mentioned Hurricane Maria. Irma and Maria hit in 2017, which is not long after you started the nuclear alternative project. And that led to, as some people were without power for almost a year, I believe, during, during the aftermath of those hurricanes. How did that make you feel in the time? As, as someone who was from Puerto Rico, grew up there, what, what was your feelings when you, when you were seeing people live through that? My mom was in, in Puerto Rico at that time. She was staying by herself. So, so I, I, I didn't have contact with my mom like for two weeks. I have been to George's and so we were used to it. But when Hurricane Maria happened and I saw that communication from the island was zero, 
I knew my mom was okay. She lives in a reinforced concrete home and all that outside the floating areas. But you know, it's, it's very stressing. You've been here, you cannot do anything about it. And I think that motivates me and others in our group to, to do a little more, even if it's, it's in our own time, right? Uh, we do this in our own time. It kind of motivates us to, to continue educating and studying this possibility for Puerto Rico. The, the road is not straight, right? There are challenges and we cannot solve all the challenges, but our mission and, and our compromise is to, to educate people in Puerto Rico and, and to make sure they understand how the nuclear with advanced reactors could be a possibility and something that helps them in the future. That's, that's a great transition, I think, for you to talk a little bit about why you see nuclear as such a optimistic and great solution for natural disaster recovery, especially in Puerto Rico. So for Puerto Rico, like if you see what happened during Hurricane Maria and even George's, the problem is you can have big portions of the island being shut down by by these hurricanes because either the transmission line get knocked down or the distribution lines get knocked down. If you see through the through both hurricanes, they, there was a need of having um, generators, right? And especially during Hurricane Maria, those generators, they need diesel, right? They need a constant uh, refueling of, of diesel. I see nuclear industry, the nuclear industry with these new technologies in the near future, that could be an asset that Puerto Rico could use to power the critical infrastructure of, of the island and, and avoid what what happened during Hurricane Maria, that a lot of people died not during the hurricane, just after that, because we didn't ha- they didn't have power for for the hospitals or, or critical infrastructure. So following Hurricane Maria, what did NAP do? How did your organization react? So what what we did, we we were already engaged with with the community. We started conversations, but what we did, we submitted an unsolicited proposal to the Department of Energy to do a preliminary study about advanced reactors for Puerto Rico, and we got funded for that for a portion of what we really wanted to do. We started educating people about. When we finish the study, we start educating people about uh, what we found and uh, and how this could be a, a possibility in the in the future of the island. And you know, we continue the engagement. We are volunteers. We do the best we can to to push and educate people about it. That's really great. You're doing something. Um, you know, it seems like a lot has changed since 2017 and the hurricane. A Bloomberg article from 2022 reported that since 2017, the federal government has spent $12.8 billion to modernize Puerto Rico's electric grid. Have you seen real changes happen? Has anything actually improved? There is a lot of changes in the transmission distribution lines that they need to do. And some of the equipment they have to change is not something that you can buy in Walmart, right? It it takes some time to, to get it there. These are big projects. So I think people probably, that's why they are getting anxious about it because they, they think that they can be changed in a month. I mean, I think there is some improvement in terms of the bureaucracy of it. So with all this change to the energy grid in Puerto Rico, how do we get nuclear involved in Puerto Rico? The feedback I got, I have get from people, obviously there will be always people that they don't like nuclear, right? There is always a question about 
the use fuel being Puerto Rico so small, how, how you can, can manage that. I think the, the path for Puerto Rico to have nuclear is first have one here in the States and for politicians and people that, that are the ones that make uh, decisions in Puerto Rico to, to see it working and uh, show the people and then also continue educating the people. I think in parallel, there, there were some students in the University of Puerto Rico in Mayaguez that they, they started the ANS chapter. They already are pushing for, uh, they are starting to start some courses in nuclear engineering on August. Uh, it's not the entire program. It's not like a bachelor degree or a PhD in, in nuclear, but it's a start. Like the students are interested. They they would like to to be part of of this and 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 I think that's how this start coming together, right? Like we we are putting a, only a grain in there, and and some other people are doing their their work. And at the end of the day, like I told people, like if if nuclear is for Puerto Rico, it will happen. It's just it will take time and education and and the politicians need to be uh, part of it and. Right now, they they still don't feel confident because they, they want the people to feel confident first, right? I read in your feasibility study that nuclear has like like 94% of the population interested, though. That's impressive. I mean, considering that you're not, it's not a place where people have grown up around nuclear, live around nuclear. What, what do you attribute that to? So I attribute that 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 was done after Maria. Just imagine yourself, right? You live in an area that you are without electricity for a year. And then you bring a technology that could help you and you want to understand if this could help you, right? So people were more open to solutions when Hurricane Maria passed. After that, you know, recent earthquakes and all that, probably that number is not the same, right? Because people get more scared because of earthquakes, because there were some earthquakes happening when we were finishing the study. But I attribute that to that snap picture of that moment of people getting out of the of the Hurricane Maria, being without electricity for a year, say, hey, I mean, we need whatever works, right? Do you think most people on the island are thinking more along the lines of traditional nuclear, larger power plants? Do they understand that there's new nuclears coming and it could be a great option, you know, for more remote areas on the island? Is that something people know about or is that something that an education campaign would be helpful? There's still people that, that relate nuclear engineering to weapons in Puerto Rico, especially people that are opposed to it. They still also relate it to, to the big nuclear, obviously to the 1,000 megawatt electric plant. Because, you know, we get asked a lot about, hey, if something happened, we have to evacuate the entire island because we are 100 by 40 miles and there is an emergency planning zone of 15 miles radius for a, for a nuclear plant, right, for the big ones. They, they still relate that. They, they still have those relations. And also, you know, the, the media, obviously, there is a, there is a big renewables hype in, in Puerto Rico. So, so the media doesn't touch the, the topic of nuclear. And when they touch it, it's not for something good, right? So we have to continue educating. A big educational campaign would be better because people will see that, hey, this is what is coming, right? And that's what we're doing. Like uh, recently, I was in Puerto Rico. I'm part of the College of Engineers and Surveyors of Puerto Rico. It's an organization that has been in Puerto Rico for 85 years. 
in order for for being an engineer in Puerto Rico, you you need to be a member of of that organization by law. And I was with them, and I am I'm, I'm we are engaging to bring the nuclear engineering topics to all the other engineers that are interested to learn about it. They have people that have worked in this industry in the 60s. They have people that work in, in the reactor in Bonus in, in the island, the experimental reactor that we have. They're interested, but also they are cautious because they, they have seen other technologies not being successful, right? So they want this to be successful and, and they see this as a possibility for future in Puerto Rico. What do you see as the nuclear alternative projects next goal? What what are your short-term goals? What are you trying to accomplish next? We're continuing educating people. We, what, what we want is people to uh, to get outside of the box of what the typical media promotes, right? And uh, we want those people to look at nuclear and, and look at the technology, look at the challenges and also at the benefits of what nuclear provides and uh, to make a decision based on that and not on, on some non- expert opinion that we have it in the island like in the US in the US mainland right that they they come and they go to the media and people get scared everything uh without any real technical information so we're we're trying to do that another thing that we're doing uh we are we're going to do a preliminary economic analysis of of how these uh could impact the islands we we have an economist helping us with that. It will be a small document, but it will give some picture of how advanced local reactors could help the island in the near future if if Puerto Rico implements them economically. So we talked a lot about disasters today. You know, disasters aside, why do you think that nuclear would be a good answer um, to power harder to reach areas? like an island, but also in the mountains, you know, in the desert? I think it's because of the refueling cycle that you have, right? Uh, especially Puerto Rico, like right now, like we are, they're having a lot of issues when, when, the, when the war in Russia happened between Russia and Ukraine, uh, there was a shortage of natural gas, right? And they needed to, instead of running their plants with nuclear gas, natural gas, they start running the the more uh, the ones that run with diesel and other uh, fossil fuels that they were more expensive. I mean, when you have a remote area, and if you don't have a, a reliable source of energy, and you have a a very small amount of of plants that could be good when one of the plants can shut down because of some uncertainties, then you need something like nuclear that is very reliable and is running 24-7 compared to other sources of energy that that their capacity factors are way less than that. Is there anything we haven't asked that you think is important to cover before we wrap up? Before Hurricane Maria, Puerto Rico was not really in the picture of, of a lot of people in the States, right? And I think it could be because of, you know, political status of where we are right now. We're on a corporate territory. And I think people in the mainland should take seriously what Puerto Rico can provide to the table, right? Um, and help out there. Yeah? I mean, there is a lot of things that Puerto Ricans probably, they have an experience. Uh, we do have a lot of people as, uh, with a good experience. Now there are a lot of Puerto Ricans like me in, in the 
private industry to work in nuclear. We have a lot of people in Nuclear Regulatory Commission that are from Puerto Rico. And you can transfer that knowledge uh, to people in the island and um, help out. That's really great feedback and so important as the nuclear industry looks to develop its future workforce as well. I, we we want to see nuclear power scale up and we need people to staff the plants and to bring it bring it to life, bring it online. All right. One last question. Describe the future of nuclear energy in one word. I, I define it as a nuclear revolution. Revolution. I love that. We have uh, the industrial revolution, but I think I think people are focusing probably in the wrong technologies right now. I think nuclear will be the future of the of the world. Thank you again, Jesus, for all the work you and the rest of the team at the Nuclear Alternative Project are doing. I hope we can revisit this conversation down the road and talk about how much nuclear has positively impacted Puerto Rico. If you want to keep up to date with the work that the Nuclear Alternative Project is doing, you can find them on social media and, of course, their website, nuclearalternativeproject.org. Don't forget to follow us and leave feedback wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you.